So good to have you all here this morning. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor at Southside, and Merry Christmas to you. Um, We are excited to be able to spend part of the Christmas season with each of you, and of course the singing Christmas tree uh, Friday night, last night, and again tonight. It's just a great opportunity for us to come together as a community of faith and our community in San Marco and throughout Jacksonville to to celebrate and to worship together. But I know by this time, um, something called Christmas fatigue can begin to set in, and uh, because we're in church, I'm I'm going to ask you to be honest. How many of you are ready for it to be over with? Anybody out there? Got a few. Got 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 some. All right, some some passionate believers in. Let's get let's get through it. I, I think it's it's not unusual for us to feel the exhaustion that comes at Christmas time because of all that society has sort of hitched onto it. You know, the shopping and the programs and the busyness, and it just seems to it seems to never end. And I don't know if you have thought about it, but it almost makes us wonder why do we. Why do we do all of this? What, what is all of this about? What is all of this for? And, and we have to say, well, of course, because we're Christians and most of us in the room here would say, well, we know the reason we do it is to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But it still begs the question, especially for those of you who may be in the room who aren't Christians or weren't raised in church or don't know much about the Christian faith, what difference does the birth of one baby 2,000 years ago have for us today? And I'll be honest with you, if he were just another ordinary baby, none, none at all. And maybe he would have as much influence or maybe it would have as much meaning to us as the birth of any other historic figure. So think of George Washington or the Wright brothers. They were born, they lived at a specific period of time, they contributed significant things to history, and we still benefit from the things they contributed in history. But the reality is, you don't get up every day and are thankful for the fact that George Washington or the Wright brothers or, or Confucius or Gandhi or any great histor- historic figure was born. You don't really think about that every day. It doesn't, it's not something that, that occurs to you that is significant for your day-to-day life. Your life would indeed be different, maybe if the Wright brothers hadn't been born or George Washington hadn't been born. But the reality is somebody else would have probably come along and eventually invented the airplanes. I mean, George Washington, the father of our nation, wasn't the only person involved in the founding of our nation. Somebody else could have stepped up and done some of the things George Washington did. Our lives may be different if it weren't for those historic figures, but but the truth is you would have still been born, lived your life, and died, and your life would have pretty much been what it is uh, without all the things those historic figures would have added to it. So what is the significance about Jesus? And I think it has something to do with the fact that it's not just that Jesus was born at a point in time, but that Jesus, in fact, was born outside of time and space. Jesus exists apart from time and space. Now, now stay with me. I know it's the Christmas season and we tend to start checking our brains out, but I need everybody to, to join me for just a second here. When we talk about Advent and the Advent series and we light these candles each Sunday of Advent, we're joining with the church throughout history and anticipating the celebration of the birth of Jesus. That Jesus came, that's a historic term, that's a past tense term, Jesus came. And we, we also recognize that, we, that Jesus still comes to us. Even as we gather here in worship, we come with the anticipation and the expectation that somehow we're going to encounter Jesus in this place. Otherwise, why even come? Why bother to come? We come here with the hope and the expectation that we will meet Jesus. But we also know as we light the Advent wreaths, we live in the hope that he will come again. 
that he came, that he comes, and that he will come again. This is all wrapped up in our celebration of Christmas and our reflection during the Advent season. That he came, that he comes, and that he will come again. That Jesus is outside of time and space. Revelation chapter 1 says this. It calls Jesus the Alpha and Omega. Now, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. That he is the first and the last, and that everything in between is held inside of him. It goes on to say in the book of Revelation chapter 1 that he is the one who was and is and is to come. Maybe you've even sung those words before. That Jesus was and is and is to come. That he is outside of time and space. That God was doing something from the very beginning of creation that is extended through the time in which Jesus was born in Bethlehem, reaches down through time and space to us today, and will continue through all of human history and into eternity. So, so let me just give you an example of what I mean by that. So if Jesus, like represented by this figure right here, by the way, I, I don't, I appreciate the art in this, but I really don't think he had blue eyes and blonde hair, just for the record. But let's let this represent Jesus today. Here he is. And let's let this represent the point at which Jesus was born. By the way, it's the way all history is divided. B.C. and A.D., before the birth of Christ. So let's just say, for for example, that this is when Jesus was born. And everything to this side of the stage precedes the birth of Jesus. There were people on this side of history, before the birth of Christ, who lived with the expectation and the hope that God would somehow intervene on behalf of his people. That God would somehow step into the condition and that he would rescue people from the oppression of sin and from from the brokenness of the world. And they lived looking forward to the hope that that would come. And then at the moment that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, very few people actually recognized the significance of that moment. There were only just a few. In fact, the most humble around were the ones who recognized it the fastest. You had the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night, and they were the first to come and recognize the birth of Jesus. It wasn't the wealthy in Jerusalem, the powerful, the influential who came. It was the lowly and the outcast. And so Jesus lived in a very real time in history, and then After his death and resurrection, the Bible tells us that he ascended back to heaven where he rules and reigns forever and ever. And we live on this side of the manger. We live looking back on Jesus and on the birth of Jesus and the events of his birth. But what is important for us to recognize is that Jesus wasn't just born in a particular time, but that Jesus exists outside of all time and all space. And that makes a difference for how we live today. See, this was God's plan from the beginning of time. And hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, there were prophets who were telling us that this was going to happen. And we've been looking at one in particular this year Anybody remember the name of the prophet? Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 9. And we've been looking in particular at verse 6. Let's read it together. We'll put it on the screens. For to us a child is born and a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so each week we've been taking a different name 
that Isaiah gave, an alias, if you will, that he gave to describe the promise of this coming Messiah, and we've been looking at it. So two weeks ago, we looked at the name Wonderful Counselor, and we said that this tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth, that, that he came to us not half of each, but full of both. And this This makes him our wonderful counselor. Wonderful being a term that only refers to the divine in scripture. Counselor being something that we all recognize. Someone who gives advice or who is an advocate. And that Jesus came to show us God's love. He came to demonstrate it and to show us God's love. That was the gift that he came to give us. And then last week we looked at the phrase mighty God or the name mighty God. And we said that this tells us that Jesus is God with us. That it is God taking on flesh and coming to live among us. Not just another baby born, but God incarnate. We sang it just a a few minutes ago in the hymn we sing. God incarnate deity. That he was veiled in human flesh. That he came to us almost in disguise. The superhero God in disguise. And that he came to rescue us from our sin. To save us from our sin. That's the gift he came to give. That he is mighty. A human word referring to strength. But God, a divine word. That he is fully God and fully man. And that he has come to save us from our sin. So today I want us to look at the word everlasting father. At the name everlasting father. Now last week I told you that Jewish scholars have a very difficult time with the name mighty God. Because in Jewish theology they did not expect that the Messiah would be God himself. They expected that the Messiah would be fully human. So when Jewish scholars look at the prophecy in Isaiah and they recognize it as a prophecy talking about the coming Messiah, they have trouble with that second name, mighty God. Christian theologians have a really hard time with the third name, everlasting father. Now the reason Christian theologians have such a difficult time with this has to do with a teaching uh, of the church called the Trinity. This is sort of a phrase or a theological concept. Uh, You won't find the word in your Bible, but it is a theological concept that helps us understand the nature of God. Remember when I told you earlier you had to be on your game this morning and fully awake? Are you ready? We're going to put a graphic up. You ready for it? Here it comes. All right, let's stick this graphic up, and let's talk about the nature of God, okay? You've got God who has eternally existed in three persons. He has manifest himself or shown himself to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, Christians do not believe in three gods. We have one God. But this God has eternally existed in three persons, that he exists in community in and of himself. Now, we understand and believe, most all the world who believes in a God would like to believe in a God who is loving, a God who is love. But if God has eternally existed before he created anything, how can he be love if there was nothing for him to love? And so God has existed in perfect community in himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, loving, perfect, perfectly existing in community, loving God the Father, loves God the Son, loves God the Spirit, loves God the Father. But what you see in this is that God the Father is God, but is not the same as God the Son. God the Son is God, but is not the same as God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is God, but is not the same as God the Father. So here's the problem that Christians have with the phrase everlasting Father. It seems to confuse the idea of God the Father and God the Son. 
Because when we say everlasting father, we're talking about the baby that was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, who came to live with us, God the Father, God the Creator, God who, who took on flesh and came to dwell among us is not described as God the Son. But in this case, it looks as if God the Son is described as a Father. So what is Isaiah saying? What are we being told about Jesus Christ through this, through this name that he gives? Well, the term everlasting Father literally could also be translated as Father of Eternity. Or, to make it even a little more direct, the author of eternity. So when Isaiah talks about Jesus being the everlasting father, he is not referring to God the Father. He is talking about Jesus as being the one who is the author or the father of eternity. Look with me, if you will, at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. This is what one of the earliest Christians in the church writing to teach about Jesus to other Christians. This is what... He said about Jesus, and being made perfect, Jesus became the father of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. In other words, Jesus became the source, Jesus became the one who offers eternal salvation to everyone who would receive it. So this name, Everlasting Father, tells us who he is, that Jesus is the source of eternal life. Jesus is where we go to find eternal life. Now, in order for something to be the source of something else, it has to be outside or beyond the thing it created. Let me give you an example. In order for me to be the father of my children, I have to exist apart from them and I have to exist before them, right? That just makes sense. In order for me to, to, I I was about to say in order for me to give birth, but I assure you I did not give birth. But in order for me to be the father of my children, I have to exist outside of them or before them. So what the term everlasting father tells us is that Jesus existed outside of time. That he is the originator of eternity and time. He is the one who holds all of eternity and time. And he is the place we go in order to get, get from him eternal life. He is the source of of eternal life. Let me, let me throw some other scriptures up to help us understand this. John chapter 1 verse 1, we've read it before, says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now what is John talking about in the beginning? He is talking about the beginning of time itself, meaning that this Word that eternally existed with God and that was God was there at the very beginning of time, that he existed outside of time and space. He existed before it. Look, let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That that Jesus existed before all things, in him all things hold together. He is the father of eternity, the father of time. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, I I love this one, the radiance of the glory of God. Think about the sun as it shines. The sun exists 
But the radiance of the sun, the radiance of the sun is what gives us warmth, it's what gives us light. You can't separate the, the existence of the sun from the radiance of the sun that points us to, the, to its source. That's Jesus. That he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, when Jesus came to earth, he died on the cross, he rose again and ascended to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And this is what it says, uh, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 8, But the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You see, God not only stepped into our space, he stepped into time itself to reveal himself to us. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of of time had come when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law god has literally spanned the gap between himself and us to offer us eternal salvation in Jesus Christ, that he who is outside of time and space, he who holds all things in his hand, has entered into our reality so that we could know him, so that we could see his love, so that we could be rescued for sin, and so that we could have the gift he offers us of eternal salvation. Now, how many of you like the show Undercover Boss? Anybody? You know the one I'm talking about? Undercover? Come on, I know you watch it. Uh, Undercover Boss. Now, this show, the concept is this, that somebody who works in a corporate office somewhere in New York or Los Angeles goes down into the very front lines of the company or the front lines of the, uh, of the, of the restaurant or the front lines of the dirty job, whatever it is, and they do the work like a common employee. And the, the idea is that as they enter into the reality of their employees, they see things and experience things that they knew nothing about, and you see this boss who may have been disconnected suddenly become connected to the reality of his or her employees now god coming and taking on flesh and dwelling among us is something like that but not exactly you see god was not unaware of the circumstances and the challenges we faced in time and space he was not unaware of the consequences of sin and the reality of the of living in a broken world instead He comes and dwells among us, not so that he can understand our condition, but so that we can understand him. So that we can know that he is a God who has come to demonstrate love for us and to rescue us. That he has come to relate to us in our circumstances. That Jesus is the one who steps into our reality and he is the the exclusive source of eternal salvation. Listen to what John said in John chapter 3. The Son of Man will be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but here it is again, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus is God with us who has come to extend God's offer of eternal life for us. 
Now, I wanted to share a a story with you from the life of Jesus that would help us to maybe understand this, and we would hear this idea from Jesus' own words. So if you have a Bible, open to John chapter 10. We'll be looking at verse 22 and following. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. Now, just like today, we live in a reality where not everybody recognizes the truth of what Jesus has come to do or who he was. That was just the same during the life and ministry of Jesus himself. Many people did not recognize what Jesus came to offer. In fact, as we've already said, those who were the most humble seemed to get it. The children seemed to get it. The the shepherds seemed to get it. Those who were hurting and broken, who were sinners and tax collectors, they seemed to get it. But the religious leaders often missed it. And in John chapter 10, Jesus is having one of his many encounters with the religious leaders and and they are arguing with him and they're really offended by what he is saying. And so this encounter takes place at a specific time when Jesus is arguing or uh, encountering the Pharisees. And here's what it says in John 10 verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Now, I love the fact that the scripture actually gives us real time stamps and real geographic locations where these events happened. Because these are not just fables or stories or myths. These are real events, real historic events that took place. And so we know that this took place during the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was wintertime. Now, this is the celebration of what many of our Jewish friends still celebrate. In fact, I think they just wrapped up the celebration of Hanukkah. This is Hanukkah this, that they are celebrating. Um, there was, a, there was a, an emperor by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes that had desecrated the temple. He had gone into Jerusalem, and they had taken over the city of Jerusalem. They had gone in and completely desecrated the temple. But in the year 167 B.C., so just about 150, 160 years before the birth of Jesus, a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus reclaimed the temple and went in and cleaned out all the bad guys, and they set him up to be the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem. And he had a dynasty. He had a lineage of kids, of family members, that continued to rule Jerusalem for over 100 years. These were the Maccabees. So this celebration of Hanukkah is the celebration of when Judas Maccabeus went in, took over the temple, kicked out the bad guys, and rededicated the temple for the worship of God. Jews continue to celebrate it today. They light the candles. And you can learn more about it by talking to any of your Jewish friends or looking it up. It's a beautiful, rich celebration of what God did to rescue his people. Now, since that time, though, the Romans had come back. And so, so the Maccabees only ruled for about 100 years. The Romans came back in, and they took over, and they made a man by the name of Herod king. And Herod, in order to justify that he was the rightful ruler over Israel, had married one of the Maccabean princesses to sort of give legitimacy to his reign. But the Jews hated Herod. And Herod was so insecure and Herod was so, so concerned that somehow the Jews were going to rise up and were going to overthrow him and put their own king back in place that when he had heard about the birth of the one who was going to be the king of the Jews, he sent the wise men to find out where Jesus was born so that he could come and worship him too. But that wasn't his plan. His plan was, in fact, to kill Jesus so that he would not have any threat to his, to his throne. So Jesus now lives. He has 
he is an adult man, he's teaching in the temple, and he's at the dedication of uh, the celebration of the dedication of the temple, the Hanukkah celebration, when Israel is celebrating what God did to rescue the temple, but also how God continues to provide earthly rulers and kings to redeem them. The Jews continue to hope that just like God raised up David, and just like God had raised up kings in the Old Testament, just like God had raised up Judas Maccabeus, that somehow God was going to raise up another king who would come and throw off the Roman oppressors. And so verse 23, and so Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, they did not mean Christ in the way we mean it. They just meant if you are the Messiah, if you are the next king who is going to come and rescue us, would you just tell us that that's who you are? Because we're ready to overthrow the Romans. And if that's you, we're on board. We're going to go get our swords and we're going to toss the Romans out just like Judas Maccabeus did. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name Bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, this would have been incredibly offensive to the Jews. That he's basically saying, you are missing everything I'm doing and everything I'm saying. You're looking for an earthly ruler to come and kick out the Romans and set up an earthly kingdom, and I'm coming to do something much bigger than that. I'm coming to rescue all of mankind from sin. I'm coming to establish God's kingdom, not just in one geographic location, but in all the earth. And you're not seeing it. And the reason you're not seeing it is because you're not a part of my flock. You're not a part of the group of people that God is going to do this work through. So here's what it says in verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wait a minute, I thought you just said they were in your hand. Uh Uh-huh. And now you're saying they're in your Father's hand. Uh Uh-huh. I and the Father are what? One. We're the same. For God's people to be in God's hand is the same as to say God's people are in his hand. I and the Father are one. And then look at this next verse, verse 31. The Jews picked up the stones again to stone him. Now, why would the Jews have wanted to stone Jesus for saying that? Because they understood what he was really saying. He was saying, listen guys, if you're looking for another earthly king like Judas Maccabeus, I'm not him. That's not me. Because I am God in flesh, come to dwell among you. I am the eternal source of salvation and life. I am the one who holds all things in my hand. I'm the one who holds eternity in my hand. And for those who would receive it, I will hold them in my hand and nothing can ever snatch them out. I am the source and the author of eternal life. See, this points to us that this was not just a human. That that the nature of Jesus is that he is the 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 everlasting father. He is fully divine, meaning the everlasting. Only God is eternal. And he, so he is divine, but he is also a father, a human word, meaning like I am a father, like many of you in the room are fathers, like every one of us have a father, that he is fully human and fully 
divine. This is why the birth of one baby 2,000 years ago is different than the birth of any other historic figure, is different than the birth of any other baby in all of time and space, because this, this child that was born is outside of time and space and has entered into time and space in order to offer eternal salvation to anyone who would receive it. That he has come to set up God's eternal kingdom. And he begins that in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls who would receive this gift of eternal life. See, it's not just about me. It's also about we. That God's eternity, God's eternal kingdom begins in the hearts and lives of of each person submitted and surrendered to God. But then together, as we all live in community, we recognize that the gift Jesus came to give is God's kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. And we are a part of that. We are a part of what he is doing. As each of us are being transformed into the image of Jesus, and as we live together in community, we are the body of Christ establishing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus came to set up God's kingdom. Listen to the rest of what Isaiah said. We've been looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Look with me what he goes on to say in verse 7. Of the increase of his government... And of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and what's the last word? Forevermore. That he is the everlasting father. That he is coming to set up God's kingdom and it begins as each of us are willing to surrender our hearts and lives to him. So, that's a lot of theology for the middle of December. So what difference does it make? I mean, really, what what difference practically does this make as you navigate all the challenges you have in life, as you try to balance the checkbook, as you try to keep the kids in check, as you try to care for your aging parents, as you deal with doctor's reports, as you have problems at work, as you go from your day-to-day life, what difference does it make? Well, the first difference I think it makes is that it reminds all of us that we were created not for time, but for eternity. The writer of Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. If there is a longing inside of you that nothing on earth seems to satisfy, it only points to the fact that you were not created for this world. You were created beyond it. That there's nothing on earth that can ultimately bring the satisfaction that your soul is looking for. You can't find a job that's good enough. You can't marry a person who will satisfy everything. If you have kids, they'll never satisfy all the the longings of your heart. You can never have enough money. You can never uh, acquire enough health or well-being. That there is something inside of you that is longing for something that you cannot find in this world. And that longing is a longing for eternal salvation. It is what God has come to give you in Jesus Christ. You were created for eternity not for time. And if you feel the pressure of time, if you feel like time is running out, if you feel like time is not on your side, all you need to remember is what Jesus said in the temple, that he holds, he holds you in the palms of his hand and nothing can ever take you away. That you might not see accomplished in this lifetime all that you had hoped or longed for, but God is not confined by time and space 
God is doing a work that goes beyond, and he's beginning that work inside of you. And he wants to carry that work through you into the life of your family and your friends and your coworkers and the other students at your school. And how do we, how do we receive this? This is what's the most amazing of all. It's not about how religious you are or the religious rituals or how many times you come to church during the Christmas season or whether or not you take communion or whether you go to confession. It is about one thing, and that is simply receiving the gift of eternal life that Jesus came to offer you. By humbling yourself like the shepherds in the story, by humbling yourself like those who were broken and hurting who came to Jesus time and again and receiving what he has come to give you for eternal life. By admitting, confessing that of your need for Jesus, that our own sin has separated us from God, that Jesus has come to restore a right relationship. And by receiving him, by receiving him, we receive eternal life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray together and sing one last song. And maybe today you would say, I, I need I need Jesus to satisfy this eternal longing that nothing else seems to satisfy. Maybe today you would respond to a simple invitation of the gospel, not to just receive a baby born 2,000 years ago, but to receive the eternal God who created you, who loves you, and who wants to welcome you into his eternal salvation, to his eternal kingdom. Father, today we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the Father of eternity the source of eternal salvation. And Lord, even as we've covered all of these scriptures, I just know that in my own heart, I'm just overwhelmed by the magnitude of what it means that you would come to earth. And Father, unfortunately, I'm guilty and and many of us are guilty of trivializing this in simple, oversimplified terms and 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 yet, Lord, the message is really profound that you stepped into time and space in order to invite us into your eternity. Lord, I pray today that those who are walking in darkness would see a light, a light of hope in Jesus Christ, and they might respond. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus. Thank you for demonstrating your love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that 2,000 years after this event, you are still being born into the hearts and lives of those who will humble themselves before you. We come today, Lord, humble, ready to receive Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.